Please take your Bible and turn it to the book of Ephesians or locate it using your handheld device. The book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1, and verses 1 through 3 will be the basis of the morning message. I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible and invite you to follow along silently in whatever version you have handy Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you were to pick up the right edition of Guinness's Book of World Records, what you would discover is that Hetty Green holds that place as being America's greatest miser. This woman amassed an incredible fortune, and it was amassed in the latter part of the 19th century, and she passed away in the middle of the second decade of the 1900s. She had $116 million. She was called by her critics the witch of Wall Street. She had to be a little rough around the edges because she was the only woman who was really involved in investing to the level that she did in Wall Street. She was such a miser that she would not even heat up the stove to heat her oatmeal, she would eat it cold to save pennies on her utility bill. Also, her son had an accident that resulted in infection in his leg. And before she could find a free clinic in New York City to treat him, this is a millionaire. Look, $116 million is a lot of money anytime, isn't it? But go back a hundred years. And then you get a little sense of how wealthy this woman was. And her, her son had to have his leg amputated because she didn't want to spend the money at a hospital where she had to pay full price. Unbelievable. So many of us who know Christ are like Hetty Green. We are wealthy beyond our own imagination. But we live like spiritual paupers. There was a woman in Scotland probably who lived about the time that Hetty Green lived. This woman was a study in contrast with Hetty Green. She was a woman who had a very meager income. In fact, her husband was gone. Her only son was in the British Army serving in India. She had rather meager communication from him. She would receive a message in written form about once every six weeks or two months. She found herself at the end of her financial resources. She didn't know what to do, so she went to see her pastor. She was a committed Christian. She said to her pastor, Pastor, I have no money, and I have no one near me who would know that I need help. So as a last resort, I've come to you, Pastor, I'm embarrassed to do this, but I'm coming to you for advice. 
on how I might receive the necessary funds so that I can continue to survive. He asked her, do you not have any friends or any family nearby who might help you? She said no. And then she began to tell him the story that he was familiar with to a certain degree about the son whom she had. And he said, does he ever write you? She says, yes, he does write me rather sporadically. And he said, does he send money to you when he writes you? And she said, no. But he does put these funny-looking papers in the letter. He said, really? And she said, yes. He said, you don't happen to have some of those with you, do you? And she said, yes, I do, Pastor, because I keep them in my Bible to remind me of my son's love for me, to write me and send these papers. And he said, may I look at them? And she handed the Bible to him, and he opened it to where there was a pretty thick number of these papers, and they were notes, bank notes, for the Bank of England, and her name was to be the one who had received the money that those notes represented. And this is what he said to her. You have all this potential wealth in your Bible. Your Bible is filled, filled rather, with treasure. Well, he meant financial treasure. But you know your Bible and my Bible is filled with treasure for us. And we don't even know it many times. We do not understand what this passage of Scripture teaches when it says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This morning we're going to look at the blessings, and I'm going to call them actually benefits, which come to us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord. We're going to begin by looking at the source of the benefits. And the source, of course, is the Lord Himself. It's God the Father. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Isn't that what Paul writes to these Ephesians? Of course, those to whom he wrote are described as saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. And this book was written not just to a select group of believers in the church. Many times we use the saint word to really put people down. He's such a saint, right? And we caricature people who are people who really don't seem to ever have any joy in their lives. They wear a suit to church on Sunday and wear a tie. You get the picture? They're men like me and women like some other women who look like they're saintly. And maybe they're not. It's not a matter of what's on the outside. It's who is on the inside of us. When Christ comes into our lives, when we receive Him, then He makes a difference in our lives. He makes a decided difference by His very presence in our lives. The word saint is not to be confused with some caricature of so-called Christians, nor is it to be confused with the Roman Catholic view that certain people are to be canonized by the church because of the pure and effective lives they lived in service to God. 
Certainly God does use people. He wants to use not just a select group, however. Please understand that if you know Jesus Christ, you are a saint. The word saint simply means someone who has been set apart by God for his use. He calls you and me out of darkness into his marvelous light in order that we might serve him and serve him with gladness and for his glory. So this was written to saints, people who are set apart. Consequently, it's for you and me if we know Jesus Christ and we are faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is the one who blesses us with all these heavenly blessings in Christ Jesus, spiritual blessings. It's amazing what He does for us. Do you know that God desires to bless you if you are His child? The Bible teaches us in the book of Psalm 37 that the Lord delights to uphold us with His hand. We're like little children to God the Father. And He delights for us to put our hands in His hand. And He leads us through this life. He protects us. He provides for us. He is everything we will ever need if we were to live a thousand lives. He would never find His resources lagging behind the needs which we have. He is the source of our benefits. I'm especially fond of what the Word of God says in 1 John 3, verse 1. The Apostle John writes something similar in his own way to what we are reading here from the pen of the Apostle Paul. After all, they were both filled with the Spirit and they were led by the Spirit to give us the Scriptures. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, this is what Paul, John rather writes, and I can see him astonished. He probably could hardly contain himself when he wrote these words. See how great a love the Father has given unto us in that He should call us the children of God. The word translated kind is very innocent when we read it in English, but it would have had much greater impact if we had been the recipients of it in the Greek language in which the New Testament is written. This is what that word kind actually means. And some of the translations capture it. See what manner of love the Father has given to us and bestowed upon us is the word that's used by the New American Standard Translator. And by the way, the bestowal of that love is not a temporary bestowal. In fact, the way in which John writes this would suggest that God will never pull the rug out from under us that is His love. Once He gives us this love, there's no turning back. It does not mean that God will not discipline us, just like any earthly father or mother who loves his or her children disciplines them when they're out of sorts. But what it does say is He's never going to turn His back on us. Isn't that a great thing to know? That puts all of us in the same place that John found himself when he wrote those words in 1 John chapter 3. This is what it literally means. Behold what otherworldly kind of love this is. There's nothing like it in the world. It's unconditional love. 
And it's love that is not going to be taken away from us. God desires to bless us as His children. And He has the capacity to bless us. Look at verse 7 in chapter 1. In Him, this is talking about Jesus, so I'm just going to substitute Jesus' name where His belongs. And when I get to the last part of this verse, I'm use God the Father because that reference is back to the Father. In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Speaking of the cross of Christ. This is one of those many spiritual blessings. Do you know what that suggests? It suggests exactly what Jesus said about Himself. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give Himself a ransom for many. When Christ died on the cross, He did for us what we were totally incapable of doing. He took our place on the cross and He was the perfect sacrifice. God the Father accepted His sacrifice and God the Father slew Jesus on the cross. God the Father is the one who actually crucified Jesus the Son of God. For you and for me. And in Him we have redemption through His blood. And forgiveness of our trespasses. This means forgiveness of our sins. It's possible that people could be redeemed from certain situations in which they find themselves. Actually, this word redemption or its verb form, redeemed, was used outside the New Testament to describe people who were slaves, who were bought out of the slave market by someone else. They were redeemed from the owner of the slave. Sometimes they retained the role of slave, but there were many times when such people were set free. And what a blessing that was. But it's possible, even now, that we can come to the rescue of someone, we as human beings, Someone who may have offended us, just like when Christ came and redeemed us. We were His enemies, is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. And those people who come to redeem us, whom we may have offended, may not let go of the offense. They may not really forgive. And the Bible talks about what real love is in 1 Corinthians 13. And among other things, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It redeems us, and then it forgets the sin that we have committed, provided we do what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs 28, 13. It says, he who conceals his sin, follow this, will not prosper. But he who confesses and renounces, that means repents of, turns away from, his sins will find mercy. That is wonderful, isn't it? It's a picture of one of the many blessings. Redemption is a blessing, spiritual blessing which is ours, forgiveness of our trespasses, and not just some of them, all of them. That's what Scripture says. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sins from us. Now look at the last part. Thinking about this idea that 
God has the capacity, not simply the desire. I may have the desire to bless you in some way, but I may not have the wherewithal to bless you. But God has the capacity. Look at what this capacity is according to. The riches of God the Father's grace. Does God the Father have any end to His grace? No, He does not. He's eternal. He will never be depleted of that quality of grace in His life to us. This is the possibility for you and me. It's a picture of our relationship to the Father. Knowing that God is our Father, I hope this does something for somebody here today. What I've said so far, that the grace of God and the love of God is for you. And it's beyond extensive. It's inexhaustible for you. When the Bible talks about Jesus in the early part of John, it says, and He was full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have all received. Now catch the way that John writes. Grace upon grace. The picture that comes to my mind is a picture that is one of my favorite pictures in person when I'm actually seeing it live. It's when the waves of the ocean are coming in or the Gulf of Mexico are coming in. They just keep coming, don't they? They keep coming. This is a picture of the grace of God as it relates to us. A story which originates, it's a true story, in East Tennessee in the Great Smoky Mountains is told about a man and his wife who went on a vacation. They were past the years of having children in their home and they were enjoying their time on this vacation. And the man was a seminary professor. He and his wife were looking through a beautiful plate glass window in this restaurant where they were dining for breakfast, and they were looking at that majestic mountain range and the flora and the fauna associated with that scene. They talked to one another and said, I wonder if this is what the Garden of Eden might have looked like. And as they said that, there was this very distinguished gentleman dressed to the nines, walked in the door. This is a country restaurant, by the way. This is hillbilly country. It's my kind of country, actually. (laughs) So he walks in, and he walks in, not in a way that they might have thought he would walk in because he was so well-dressed, but he went to every table. And it was obvious that he was known by the patrons there. He knew them by name, and he talked to them. He worked his way around the room, and then he came to their table. Before he got to their table... This seminary professor, who was an introvert, said, I hope he doesn't come and talk to us. We're having a nice vacation. We hope he doesn't mess it up. Well, his prayer was not answered because as the man worked his way around the room, he didn't even ask if he could sit down. He just sat down. He didn't introduce himself to them, but he began to ask them about themselves. Where are you from? Oklahoma was where they were from. Then he said to the man, what do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a seminary professor. And then this man shot back with these words. Oh, you're one of those preachers who teach preachers how to preach, right? 
And he was a little bit insulted by that, but he just passed it off as ignorance from this Tennessee hillbilly because he, he knew that there were more things than just how to preach that were taught at the seminary. And without missing a beat, this man went on to begin to tell a story. He pointed through the glass window. And he said, do you see that mountain over there, the foot of that mountain? And they looked and they said, yes, sir, we see it. And he said, years ago, there was a boy who was born out of wedlock who lived there. This boy never knew his father. And as he grew a little older living in a community like the community in which he lived, where everybody knows everybody else's business. And kids and adults began to say to him, first of all, the adults, they knew full well what his heritage was. And they would say, boy, where's your daddy? And it was not long before he began to hate going into public. His mother would send him on errands to the post office or to the grocery. And he would go in as fast as he could and leave. But invariably, someone would ask that question. When he was in school at recess and at lunchtime, he would not go to eat with the other children. He would hide. He would not go out to play. Because the children tormented and taunted him with that question also. But this boy, at an early age, came to know Christ. He was active in his church. It happened to be a Baptist church, actually. And he would go to church faithfully. But he would always come in a little late, sit in the back, when he got big enough to come on his own. He's about 12 years old at this time. And before the pastor finished his closing prayer, he was gone. A new pastor came to the church. He hadn't even heard about this boy Didn't know him. The first Sunday he stood to preach for the first time in that church. He noticed the boy coming in, sitting where he could not be seen very well at the back. And he said, after the service, I'm going to go meet that young man. So he stood to give the closing prayer, and when he opened his eyes, no sign of the boy. Same thing happened the next week. The boy came. And this time, the young pastor had an idea of what he would do. What he did was, he said, everyone, please bow your head and close your eyes, except he didn't do it himself. He started walking down the aisle as he prayed the closing (laughs) prayer. And to the surprise of this young man who, out of courtesy to the pastor and to previous pastors, he would not leave until the prayer was over. Then he bolted at the amen. And the young man's reached out his hand to this boy and said, Hello, and he called his own name. I'm Pastor so-and-so. What's your name? And the boy gave his name, and he said, just trying to build some kind of bridge to him, Who is your father? And immediately, this boy's face turned beet red, and he knew he had said something that struck a nerve. And the Lord helped the pastor to work his way out of that scene that he was creating. And he says, oh, I know, I see the family resemblance. You are a child of God. God is your father. And then he said to him, and the people were waiting to see 
what the pastor would see and how he could get out of it. And they were quiet as they listened. And this is what the pastor said, Boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go claim it. And so the story goes. As this man, still unintroduced, told the story, he concluded it with this statement. He said, I don't know what would have become of me if as a 12-year-old boy, if that pastor had not told me my real heritage is as a child of God. He got up, said, excuse me. He went, paid his bill, went out the door. As he walked away, the couple was rather stunned. They were finished eating. They got up. They went to the person who checked them out and gave the money to pay the meal. And they said, by the way, who is this man? And then the lady behind the cash register said, oh, everybody knows him here. That's Ben Hooper, two-term governor of the state of Tennessee. Do you know Mr. Hooper? was a contemporary, actually, of Hetty Green. And he wrote his autobiography entitled, An Unwanted Boy. When God loves you and shows His love to you, and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you, you are not unwanted. You are embraced by God as your Father. He is the source of these blessings. Also, let's look at the sort of blessings that are ours as God's children. Look again at our text in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Well, there's some things that are very easy to notice as we look at this. First of all, these are present blessings. He has blessed us. He does not say will be blessed, but He has blessed us. Present blessings. Maybe you're familiar with the story that's set in the Great Depression era in West Texas. There was a man by the name of Yates. Mr. Yates was a man who raised sheep for a living. He had a rather large section of property. But during the Depression, every bit of money which he had saved was gone because it lost its value and people weren't buying what he was selling. He was wondering where he was going to get just enough money to feed his family and clothe them, much less to pay the taxes on his property. As he was taking care of his herd of sheep one day, he saw the dust of what he imagined and what came to be, in fact, a pickup truck coming down the road And there were several people in the bed of the truck and then two or three in the cab itself. And who was obviously the leader got out of the car and he walked over and he said, Are you Mr. Yates? And he said, Yes, I am. May I help you? And the man said, We represent, and the man named the oil company. He said, We are a seismographic team and we've been evaluating the property, some of which is yours. We have reason to believe that there is oil under your property. We have a lease agreement that we would like you to consider. Read it and ask any questions. And we would like to buy the rights to drill 
here. Mr. Yates, would you have interest in that? He could hardly contain himself. He knew that oil was very lucrative. And as it turned out, not just that day, but after looking at the contract with a legal person, he did sign the contract. The drill was placed down in the ground at 1,115 feet. Black gold was struck and gushed out of the pipe that was the drill pipe. They capped the pipe and then they put the necessary equipment around. And the first full day of production, 80,000 barrels of oil. Thirty years later, those same oil wells, many were drilled on the property. And he obviously owned the rights, the mineral and oil rights, to the property that came part and parcel of buying the land. He never bought it for that reason. But what happened was, 30 years later, some of those oil wells were producing 125,000 barrels a day. I don't know what oil was worth then, not nearly as much as it is now, but believe me, he was a wealthy man. He was there and he had all that wealth underneath his feet and he owned it and didn't even know it. Look, if you know Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. You have it now. You don't have to wait for some moment when you leave this life to get it. You have it now. Eternal life is really the essence of it. And it's the product of having a relationship with Jesus And we've looked at some of these blessings already. Redemption, forgiveness, according to the riches of His grace. And if you would do yourself a great favor today, if it were I and I didn't know this, I would want to do what I'm telling you to do. And that is go home and put some time aside this afternoon and just read the book of Ephesians with a piece of paper and a pen in hand, and then write down everything that you believe is one of those spiritual blessings. All those are yours if you are in Christ. And we need not be shy about claiming these blessings. They are spiritual blessings. Now, there are material blessings which come when we submit to the Lord. There are. But we don't live for those material blessings because we know they're passing away, do we not? We want to understand that this life is designed for us not to amass wealth and get distracted by all that, but to use whatever God gives us in terms of opportunity to honor Him, to serve Him. That's what God would have us to do. Thank God that He does take care of His children. We need to claim the promises of God according to this particular passage. We need to claim what He says, that I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Lord, I embrace that. I want to know what that's like. But also, we need to remember what the Bible says. If we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then everything which we need will be added to us. That takes the pressure off of us, doesn't it? And it puts it where it belongs. On God, and God is certainly well suited to meet those needs. Calvin Miller, in one of his books, writes this sentence, Spirituality is most mature 
when we arrive at a sense of abundance that's not related to the material. Isn't that true? There's a freedom which we have in Christ. And these blessings, these benefits are comprehensive. Every spiritual blessing. There's not a spiritual blessing for me and a different spiritual blessing for you. We are people who have inherited all the spiritual blessings. We need to understand a couple of these because they're foundational and they're in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace is that which is bestowed freely with no expectation of return. It's an act which finds the only motive in the good-heartedness of the one who gives. Be sure that this grace is not cheap. It cost Jesus His life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, about Jesus, though He was rich, is speaking about His pre-incarnate existence in heaven, He was King of heaven. Though He was rich, He became poor on your behalf in order that you might become rich. Rich with every spiritual blessing. We read from the book of Titus, chapter 2. If you have your place there, you might want to take a look at it. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now, in what form did that grace appear? Jesus Christ, correct? That means that this grace has to do with our salvation. It was that which brought salvation to us. We would not be saved. We could not know God were it not for the grace of God embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. But it's more than that. It's not just salvation as it pertains to our being made right with God, but it's salvation pertaining to our capacity based on God's provision of every spiritual blessing to grow in our faith. The Word calls it sanctification. To grow in our usefulness to God. Look at verse 12. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires that would be to turn away from living a life that is dominated by worldliness. And remember who the ruler of this world is? Satan. It's the dark domain of darkness. It's not a place of light. And we are empowered by the grace of God to live righteously and godly in the present age. Do you ever struggle with staying on track spiritually? If so, please understand, you have the One who is your redemption. You have the One who is your righteousness. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.30. You have the One who is your wisdom. Listen, you have the One who is your sanctification indwelling you. This is the Christian life. Trusting Jesus to reproduce His life through you and me. And that's exactly what He wants to do. He says, apart from me you can do nothing. But if you abide in me as a branch does in a vine, there is nothing you cannot master with my help that I tell you to do. That's what the Scripture teaches and that's what it 
means, and that's what is ours, part of the spiritual blessing. So we can grow in the Lord. It's the power, this grace is the power not only to be entered into the kingdom of God, it is the power for living the Christian life. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, he said, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's the power. You lack power? If you have Christ, you have it. You just need to learn how to tap into it. Be sanctified by the truth. The Word of God is truth. Be a man or a woman who lives in God's Word every day, spends time alone. Martin Luther said, grace is God's middle name. I like that. Peace is the other blessing that's mentioned in the salutation from Paul to the church at Ephesus. Peace is union after separation, therefore the outcome of reconciliation. While we were estranged from God, the Bible says, God was in Christ and He reconciled us to Him. God took the initiative to come and rescue us while we were His enemies. And interestingly, when you read the New Testament, what you discover is grace comes first, but it's always followed by peace. We have peace with God because of what salvation we've had. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified... By faith, the word justified means declared totally innocent. Now, we know none of us is innocent. Is there anybody here who would claim to be perfect? None of us would. But God has declared us. Therefore, having been declared righteous before God in God's eyes, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, we have that peace. Isn't that wonderful? And it's the peace of God. Some of you are burdened this morning. You came overwhelmed by circumstances in your life. But the Bible says in the book of Philippians that there is a peace which passes all understanding, the peace of God. When we come before Him and humble ourselves before Him and worship Him and pray and give Him full control of our lives. He says in this passage of Scripture, and he never uses a word. I'm talking about Paul. No biblical writer uses a word just to sort of patronize his audience. But look what he says. Look at verse 3 again. This is so full, this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. Paul included himself there. Paul knew who he was. In the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He knew who he was, but he also knew the grace of God, the free gift of God, of eternal life. He also knew the peace of God. He had peace. He seemed to be in a storm of some kind all the time, but he was able to weather the storm. He says in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, by the grace of God... I am what I am. Do you know that's our identity? God gives us His grace. We are defined by God's view of us, not our own thinking about ourselves or our thinking about each other. To qualify for these blessings, it's simple. 
We must be children of God. Not everybody's a child of God. I don't want to burst your balloon here today. But that's true. A lot of people here would say, every person alive is a child of God. I beg your pardon. You disagree with what God says. The Bible says, but as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, that means of natural descent, or born of the will of man or the will of flesh. It's not by our gritting our teeth and pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. Not that, but born of God. We are dead in our trespasses and sin in this world. That's what the Bible says. We come in D-O-A, dead on arrival spiritually. We have physical life. We have life in our souls because we can think, we can feel, we can choose. But in the most important part of who we are, there's nothing but darkness and death. And ignorance, the Bible says. We can't understand the Bible because people who don't know the Lord, they pick the Bible up and say, I don't understand this. I'm talking about really bright people, a lot smarter than you and I probably. They don't get it. It's because they're blind. Dead men are blind. What can a dead person do, by the way? Decompose, pretty much. The law of entropy is one of the laws of physics. It says everything is disintegrating. It's true. All I have to do is look in the mirror every once in a while, and I see that. Unbelievable. You say, who is that guy? Oh, it's me. Oh, sorry, Mike. Sorry. But the sphere of these benefits is in Christ is what it is, in the heavenly places. And there are several places, four to be exact, in the book of Ephesians, in addition to the one which we're considering together today, which talk about the heavenly places. We now, who know Christ, have eternal life indwelling us because we have the one who is the life indwelling us. It's awesome to think about it. The phrase in Christ is used in one form or another 15 times in the book of Ephesians. It's used frequently by Paul in the book which he writes, which are really letters. God cannot give us more than we've already received if we know Jesus. He can't. We have it in us. It's our responsibility to respond to the reality and to do as he says with that reality. And that is to submit to the Lord. Our position is wherever he is. Where is he? He's in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2.6 says he's seated at the right hand of God. I don't understand how this works, but I'm in Christ and I'm there with him. He's in me and he's with me here on earth. I have dual citizenship. That's what the Bible says about all of us. In writing to the Philippian church, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi. He starts with the primary residence in Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's in the heavenlies. We're positioned in him. And that's the best place to be positioned for sure. What are our privileges? Whatever is Christ is ours. In fact, He is ours. If we were to turn to 1 Corinthians 4 in the very last couple of verses, what we would read is that 
The whole world is ours, and Christ is ours. We're His, too. He is ours, though. Can you imagine having Jesus Christ as your rightful possession? That's what the Scripture says, and it's true. He lives in us. Now, I know what Paul writes later, as you do, also in the book of 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Yes, I know. Christ has redeemed me through His blood. We've seen that. He has forgiven me of my trespasses. But the great blessing is I belong to Him, but He belongs to me too. And nothing's going to change that. In Romans 8.17, the Scripture says that we actually, this is phenomenal, we actually are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs. We are in the family. And He shares the blessings that the Father showers on Him with us. God does not force His blessings on any of us. But God never withholds His blessings from anyone who claims what is hers or His. God's blessings are not promises to be fulfilled but gifts to be received. We just have to say, Lord, please, take control of me. I want to understand this, Lord. I want to have grace and peace. I want to have mercy. I want to have redemption. I want to have forgiveness. I want to have access to you. I want to have the full armor of God, Lord. I want to be filled with your Spirit. And on and on and on. Read the book of Ephesians. Just the book of Ephesians, there are more things that are ours than are related there to. Well, you may be living at or below the spiritual poverty level. Not because you're a spiritual pauper necessarily or God's stepchild, but because you have been sold a bill of goods by the ruler of this world, the God of this age. You've been deceived. C.S. Lewis, a man who lived the large portion of his life as an atheist, and then later acknowledged that he was no longer an atheist, he was an agnostic. And then in his autobiography, this is what he says. He says, I came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. He did not want to be a believer. After all, he was an intellectual. He was professor in his career of English literature at both Cambridge and Oxford. Unbelievable. This is what he says about this whole matter of our being recipients of every spiritual blessing. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That may be a description of you. You may think you understand life 
Or if you don't understand, it really doesn't matter because you're living life in your own way and enjoying what you're doing, you think. But the reality is that God's the one who created you in His image. And God's the one who sent Jesus, who was designed to be the salvation of all who come. And you will never understand what God has for you in terms of joy and peace, all the different characteristics of a person who knows the Lord if you don't trust Jesus. And if you're really honest, I don't care who you are, if you're a thinking person, you know there are moments when there is this gnawing and nagging in your heart. There's something more. Well, that something more is someone. It's the person of Jesus. And He would love to be your Savior. Let's pray. If you do not know the Lord, today could be that day of salvation. If you just say to the Lord, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know if you're real. I just want to ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to seek you. And I want to believe what you say in the Bible when you say, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Lord, for those of us who do know you, but we've gotten off the beaten path, we ask your forgiveness for settling for less than your best. And we ask you to help us get back on track. We know, Lord, that that's what you want. And we want to believe what you say, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path if we trust in you with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge you, you will make our path straight. So we trust you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.